Christian Power Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with light workers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. When today's guest was diagnosed with, was struck with undiagnosed late stage chronic Lyme disease, she went on a search to save her own life. After exhausting all of her options in the U.S., Amy B. Sher discovered a possible cure, but it was highly experimental, only available in India, and it had as much of a probability of killing her as it did of curing her. Knowing the risks, Amy packed her bags anyway, and she flew across the world, hoping to find the ultimate cure, and she is with us today. Are you ready to meet her? Amy B. Sher is the best-selling author of This Is How I Saved My Life and How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can. She's been featured on CNN, The Huffington Post, Cosmopolitan, and in the San Francisco Book Review. Amy teaches nationwide, and she's presented to groups such as the Department of Psychiatry at Stanford University, yoga retreats, healing conferences, and more. Amy lives in New York City with her beautiful wife and two bad cats. Find out more about Amy and her work at amybshare.com. Amy, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Thank you for being here. I thought I was going to start with a question about healing, but now I feel I must know. Are they bad? How bad are they? And why are the cats <laughs> bad? That's a great. Nobody has ever asked me that question. So I always say the cats are my greatest spiritual teacher because they don't care if I'm happy with them or not. And I think individually they're okay cats, but they don't get along with each other, which makes it quite the challenge. We have one cat that's two and a orange tabby and just a rascal. And then we have an 18 year old cat that just wants to snuggle and not be bothered. And the two are not a great combo. So I am constantly spiritually aware of, of, <laughs> of all the things that come with that and how I need to respond. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I just needed to be sure I couldn't pass that up. I needed to be sure they weren't sneaking out at night to rob people or had some other kind of criminal enterprise going on. Okay. So it's more, <laughs> it's more that they yeah, don't Although, Although our orange tabby did once appear on our neighborhood forum as does anybody know the cat who's coming in through the doggy door eating our cat's food and sleeping on the couch. So oh, well, I no. can't prove he robbed necessarily. He was eating somebody else's food, which wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, your this new book, This Is How I Saved My Life, is a very personal, it's an intimate look into one big piece of what is a very long healing journey. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading the book, which is it's it's funny and it's um, I was nervous. I was worried for you. I didn't know what was going to happen next. I wanted to keep reading. One of the things that struck me was how before you got to India, you had tried, I think, just about everything that could be tried. And it wasn't until you got to India and found yourself needing to be open to anything happening that you started to see those changes. Maybe we should start there. Can you say something about that? Yeah, I love that because I talk to a lot of people now who are just like I was, where they have tried every doctor and every treatment, all the standard treatment, and then all the alternative or complementary treatment. And, and I really felt like I had tried everything. 
And it wasn't until I got to India that I realized, yes, I had checked everything off my list, but was I really open to anything or everything? Was I really present and was I really open to anything being able to heal me? I was looking for a treatment that would cure me so I could move on with my life. And what I eventually found was that I needed to be open to the entire experience of illness in order to cure myself from it. What did it mean for you to be open to the entire experience of illness? Because that's not fun. And you weren't, when we talk about illness for you, we're not talking about, oh, you felt a little bad one day. We're talking about enormous pain, about shutdown of many of the systems of the body, about an inability sometimes to turn over in bed. How were you able to be open to that experience of illness? So I think that really through Lyme disease, especially at first, I was only interested in finding the physical cure to my physical ailments and moving on and getting back, getting back to my life. And when I surrendered sort of to the physical experience and decided that it might be there for a reason greater than so that I could get over it and move on with the rest of my life in the exact same way I had been living. That was a real epiphany for me. It wasn't all at once, but it was sort of over time, little things I had heard or read or things I became open to. And there's no better place to learn how to surrender than India because India is not a place you go, take what you need from and leave. India is its own experience. And for me, there was a lot of struggle and suffering that I experienced in India. I had this, you know, so-called incurable illness. I went to another country. I didn't have any of my doctors. They didn't do things in the same way. I was miserable for a lot of the time I was in India. But through that misery, I was able to have certain insights about things that were happening within me, not just at a physical level, but how I was such a perfectionist and I always had to control things. And I mean, I was really able to sort of surrender to what was now and learn from it and look at it and process it versus just trying to get over it or through it or around it and back to my life. And I think that's necessary for many people who are experiencing illness. Illness comes into our life for a good reason, even if it doesn't seem that way. And I think I pretty much hated everybody who told me there was a purpose to it <laughs> at the time because <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's a purpose to suffering. But now when I look back, I realize that so much good and growth came out of it and I'm a much, much happier person now than I would have been had I found a quick physical here and just got back to the life that I thought I was missing. There's a, there's a school of thought that says that illness and physical um, dis-ease, things that are out of alignment in the physical body come as a consequence of not doing something right, as a punishment for not being open enough. I'm, I'm not in that camp, but I wonder what you think of that. Is illness a punishment? Absolutely not. There is no circumstance in which I believe illness is a punishment or that somebody did it to themselves, or that it's their fault. I do think that illness comes when the body is misaligned, or the spirit and the, the, the mind, body, and spirit are misaligned. But that's not as a punishment. That's just because that's what happens when we're living 
out of alignment with who we really are or what we really desire, our physical body or our, our, our mind and our spirit have such a direct connection to our physical body. And over the years, science has really proven that what we believe and how we see the world has a, has a direct physical connection to the body, to the to to organs, glands, muscles. And so I do believe that illness can manifest from the stress that happens in our lives when we're so out of alignment, but it's absolutely not a punishment. I don't think there's anybody making decisions about that anywhere in the universe. Good. I'm glad to I'm glad to hear that. And it makes me I feel angry. I'm somebody who's also experienced a lot of I've had a rather extreme physical experience. So experienced a lot of stuff in my physical body. And I get angry at people who hold that line that if you were doing it right, you wouldn't have illness, right? Your leg would not have fallen off if you had just been a more spiritual person. Or if that kind of stuff absolutely makes me nuts, because when we look at it that way, you miss the rich experience. And it doesn't mean it has to be fun, but you miss the rich experience of being fully present in your physical body and working through those layers, kind of like what you're doing in the book, at least as I understand it. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that that through the illness experience, there is a lot to learn, but that doesn't mean it's because we did something wrong. That just means we're human. And when we have a, a situation presented to us that's crappy, we can always figure out a way to learn from it. Not that it necessarily came into our life for that purpose, if that makes sense. And the learning usually isn't that happy, sunshine, pretend, platitude kind of learning. The learning, at least for me and what I have found in my experience, is I am stronger than I thought I was. There is beauty in myself and the people around me, no matter what my physical experience is right now. There's a depth of support for me that I hadn't tapped into. For me, that's the kind of learning that comes through those extreme physical experiences. Absolutely. And I had a lot of that as well. And so much of my learning, too, was things that I could change within myself to have a happier life, illness or no illness. I was very, very hard on myself. I was a perfectionist. And it wasn't until I got to India where I had no control over how well I did anything or how well I even faked doing anything like physical therapy I couldn't get through and all of these things. And that's when I realized that that was a really detrimental pattern in my body. And that was something I needed to change if I not only wanted to be happy, but if I wanted my body to be in a place of ease so that it could possibly heal. Now, you chose to go to India for that very uh, kind of a drastic and experimental, very expensive medical treatment. Your parents are equal characters in the book with you. What? How did you get the support of your family and how did it come about as you were making that decision? Did they think you were nuts? Did they jump right on board? I think they did both. I think they thought I was nuts <laughs> and jumped right on board. But that's very, very, uh, that's my family. I think that my parents were scared, um, but they trusted that I needed to go for some reason. And they said, if you're going, we're going to. And that, it was almost as simple as that. I mean, as soon as they started telling their friends who were doctors and this and that, we got a lot of sort of backlash about it. But in the end, I knew that nothing in the United States had helped me and that my chance was in India. I truly felt it. And in hindsight, there were so many things I needed to go to India for. The stem cell treatment wasn't the final piece of my healing. It was certainly part of my physical healing, but 
the the entire experience of going to India was so needed for me at every different level in order to heal. Can you maybe paint a little picture for the listeners of your time in the hospital there and what it was like and how it was maybe different, pushed your buttons in ways that wouldn't have happened in the States? Sure. Sure. So I, I always joke, it's sort of a joke that I was driven to the brink of insanity living in that hospital. But basically, you know, I, at the time before I left, I was living up by San Francisco in California. And every time I got a test, it was in a state of the art hospital. And when I got my MRIs, they had classical music piped in through sound canceling, like noise canceling headphones and everything was very upscale as it, you know, as I experienced it. And when I went to India, you know, the hospital had, you know, sometimes didn't have hot water for days. So I had to take showers sort of using, you know, baby wipes because you couldn't get in the shower there. And the water from the tap wasn't safe to brush your teeth with. So I had to use bottled water and I didn't like the food in the hospital. So I was making food in a teapot in my room. And this is when I don't feel good. I'm trying to like concoct these, you know, dinners or something that resembles dinner. And when I would go to get a test, there would be hours of waiting and the test would just not be up to par with what it was in the United States. And even when I got my IV infusions, you know, the nurses didn't conduct things in the same way. They didn't have the same hygiene practices that they do in the U.S. And so everything caused this extreme anxiety for me because I wasn't in control of it. I mean, even just going outside as somebody who had difficulty walking at the time was a real challenge because the pavement's not even in India and there were giant potholes and there was gravel and trash in places there shouldn't have been gravel and trash in. And so just sort of navigating the exterior world in India was really, really trying. Whereas at home I had the challenges of the illness itself, the pain, the, you know, the, the cognitive impairment, all of this stuff. But I, but I could, but my home was comfortable. And when I went to the doctor, it was comfortable. And I didn't have, you know, I didn't have those same challenges. And it was a very interesting experience. Now I call it interesting. I called it miserable at the time. But now, <laughs> now I think it really did help me because it helped me in the way that I learned to let go and relax a little bit because there was no other choice. There's the, the proverb, let go or be dragged. And it was at some point a few weeks into India that I decided, well, it's always going to be one or the other. And you know what? It feels a little better to let go. And so I really, really practiced when I couldn't control something, I could either let go and go with it or be dragged. And it was, it was, it was good life learning for me, illness or not to, to go through that. You are listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager. My guest is Amy B. Sher. Her new book is This Is How I Save My Life, From California to India, A True Story of Finding Everything When You Are Willing to Try Anything. You can find out more about Amy and her work at amybsher.com. That's A-M-Y-B-S-C-H-E-R.com, amybsher.com. Your books have themes of turning within and releasing harsh, um, harsh self-criticism, releasing perfectionism, embracing who we are. And these themes are present in this personal story. This is how I saved my life. 
Can you talk a little bit about why those are such essential keys to healing? Because I'll bet you there's somebody listening now who is lying in bed and can't turn over or someone who's pain is changing the way in which they live their life, somebody who feels like they've tried everything. So can you speak into that a bit? Sure. And and I want to say that I, I did not start off as one of these people that, you know, was was aware or or bought into this, this idea or concept that turning inward was an avenue to heal. I mean, I had a very physical-based illness. I was bitten by a tick that transferred a bacteria to me that gave me Lyme disease. I didn't see any possible way that that could be emotional (laughs) or spiritual. And so I was very much of the mind that I have a bacteria, it's infiltrated my system, it's ruining my body, and that's what's wrong. And it wasn't until following that sort of thought process didn't work to heal me that I turned inward. So I always like to tell people that I came to this not by any beautiful openness turning inward, but by deductive reasoning that the only thing left I hadn't done was looked at myself versus the symptoms. And when I finally came to this, I was apprehensive and defensive because I had had a doctor who said to me, you know, you can heal yourself. The stem cells will help. Everything will help, but you have to heal yourself. And I had had another doctor earlier in my illness who had said, you know, maybe I think, you know, you could be in a toxic relationship. That could have something to do with why you're not getting well. And I was very, very defensive. And I kept saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. You don't understand. And at some point, I realized that the defensiveness and the right fighting about I don't want it to be my fault was actually only blocking me from healing. And so I started to read a lot of the works of Louise Hay and Bruce Lipton, who wrote a great book called Biology of Belief, which is scientifically or, or kind of over my head, but the, but the basic premise is that our thoughts and emotions affect our body. Another great book is Molecules of Emotion, again, scientifically above my head, but the premise and the science behind it is that, uh, that our thoughts, emotions, and beliefs directly affects, affect our immune system, our nervous system, how our organs function. And as a pretty science-minded person, I was able to understand, like, these are just the facts. When we have stress in terms of anxiety or emotions we haven't released, this really can impact our immune system. And one of the things with Lyme disease is it tends to, it tends to really affect people that had a low immune system at the time they were bitten by the tick. So sort of pulling all those pieces together, I kind of went, okay, I could see how that happened. I was in a very difficult relationship. I wasn't being my true self. Was that why I had Lyme disease? Absolutely not. But could that have contributed to my immune system not being as strong as it could and possibly allowing the bacteria to infiltrate my system in the way that it did? Yes. And so I started really small and realizing that the patterns and emotions of our lives matter. And who we are, who we are in this world, compared to who we're trying to be, matter. We need to be who we are. We need to feel safe to express ourselves. We need to let go of things that don't matter. And all of these things were the things that I worked on after India when I still wasn't where I wanted to be physically. And that was the last piece to my healing, the pretty much totally free piece where I got to stay at home and do it, that actually healed my body to the core. And so now, of course, 
I'm a huge believer and I, and I do you know always say it's not that it's our fault or, or any of that, but it's, it's just a simple fact that our emotional selves are not separate from our physical bodies. They're so intertwined that we can work on the physical and affect the emotional and we can work on the emotional and affect the physical. Well, and to me, a, th- a, a theme throughout the book is an opening to a new way of love. Um, you share about leaving one relationship and then there's this time in India. And then as you are coming out of that experience, you talk a little bit about opening to a new relationship. And it, to me, that a lot of this healing and the way that I think of healing for myself is about being open to new ways of experiencing divine love and interpersonal love and my love for my physical body. That love piece is huge. And we can't get to that with the kind of that harshness or what you were talking about is like denial or, or defensiveness. We can't get there through that stance. Absolutely. I mean, that is all the energy of fighting, the energy of blame, the energy of, um, you know, even even when I kept saying I was fighting against Lyme disease, I was fighting against Lyme disease, I had to kill the bacteria. I mean, all of this was basically throwing that energy of a fight or hatred or anger into my body. The Lyme disease was living in my body. And so all the hatred that I had toward the disease was also going into my body, which, um, you know, apparently didn't, didn't work to heal me and no surprise why. So there, there's just those sort of shifts in our thinking that can make such a big difference. So I started thinking about what I could do to tend to my body to bring it to a level where it could help me allow the Lyme to move out as opposed to me trying to aim all these drugs at killing the Lyme. And, and I think it killed many other parts of me as well. What would you say to someone listening who might realize that this kind of shift would be helpful for them, but they're not sure what to do first? So I think being open is probably the biggest and hardest part because once I was open, it was so interesting. And I'm sure you've had this experience where you start seeing things that you're meant to see, or you start hearing things that you're meant to hear and it helps lead you to the next place. I mean, I love to read. And so even at the time when I was sick, I couldn't read a lot, but I read a little bit from a few different books and it gave me some ideas as to how to start. Um, And my books do that you know, do that for sure. But there are lots of other books out there and it's just finding your own way in to pull all of the stuff that no longer serves you out. And you can do that with different tapping techniques. Some people, I'm not a meditator, but people do it with meditation or yoga. There's so many ways to access that part of you. As you look back, because this was a many year long journey, is there anything that you wish you could change or anything that you would have done in a different way? I wish I would have been much, much, much lighter on myself. I wish I would have been easier on myself. I wish that I wouldn't have thought that every moment of my life was life or death because even though it felt like it, the bigger picture could have been much lighter if I wouldn't have fought every single step. If when I didn't feel good, I just let myself not feel good instead of adding on to it how mad I was at myself that I didn't feel good and how many lives I was ruining in my family that I didn't feel good. And I added so much 
stuck to the stuff I already have, not only did that not help my healing, um, but, but it didn't help those around me either. And so I think that if I knew that piece, that if I would have been a little bit lighter on myself, about myself, about what I was going through, it would have been a whole lot better. I think, I think that that's the thing I wish I knew. Can you let the listeners know how to connect with you and, and how to find out more about your work? Sure. So the easiest way is to go to my website, www.emibshare, and my last name is S-C-H-E-R.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. I have lots of free YouTube videos. You can also go to the book's website, www.howisavemylife.com, and it's saved in the present tense, not saved, because I think we're always saving our lives in lots of different ways. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. That's Amy B. Cher. Her new book is This Is How I Save My Life, From California to India, A True Story of Finding Everything When You Are Willing to Try Anything. You can find out more about Amy and her work at amybshare.com. That's A-M-Y-B-S-C-H-E-R.com, amybshare.com. And of course, I always invite you to take a look at karenhager.com. That's where you can find out about how to book a private session with me if you're so inclined. Find out about upcoming classes and events. See what's coming up on this radio program and lots more. You never know what you'll find over there. And if you agree, as I do, that when we put our collective intention on peace, that things can change, I invite you to check out openpeacefulheart.com. There's information there and recordings if you like to listen to guided meditation recordings. Um, there's information there about a free 15-minute guided meditation that we offer the first Sunday of every month where you can connect with people from around the world and hold a collective intention for peace in our hearts and peace in the world. That's all at openpeacefulheart.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.